we have this motto in King's Cross. It's Jesus above all and others before me. And whether you've realized it or not, uh, the elders pray this at the end of every Sunday service as we leave this place as kind of a way to tattoo it on your brain eventually. Um, so it's no longer a subliminal message because now you've been told. But I want you to think about it. Chris, if you could just put it up. I want you to think about it with these three questions. Jesus above all others before me. If you can, if you can talk to someone who's next to you about this as well. And um, who is this motto meant for? Who are we talking about? Because Jesus above all others before me is not for everyone. Right? Uh, what does this motto mean? What's it actually trying to say? What's it getting across? And then how does it relate to your life personally? Um, because it would be untrue to say that this is the motto over everyone's life who's sitting in this room right now. So just relate. So talk to someone that you're happy to answer these three questions with. If you have to get up and walk around, that's fine as well. Um, just going to give you a few minutes. Let's go for it. Okay, we're done. Okay, that's pretty, pretty good. I'm not going to ask you for feedback on question number three, so we'll, I'll leave that to you. Um, just give me some answers. Who's this motto? Who did you answer? Who's this motto for? Disciples of Jesus. Okay, we need go no further. Uh, that is the correct answer. Um, I do want to distinguish that not everyone who believes in Jesus or, or says that is necessarily a disciple of Jesus. A disciple is, a, is something, and we're going to look at what a disciple is. Um, anyone who truly does have faith in Jesus is a disciple of Jesus, not to cause you confusion. Um, but obviously, there, there's, Jesus said, there's people who call me Lord, Lord, but I never knew them. Um, and they obviously were never disciples. So, so Adam's talking about a very specific thing. This, this motto is about disciples of Jesus, people who believe that they are following Jesus. This is a motto for them. Um, secondly, what does this motto mean? How did you answer that? I know there's answers because there were a lot of three fingers up, which means you got through two. Well, we come last. <laughs> we come last. Yeah. So I'm not going to ask number three because depending... Uh, that may be vulnerable for some and not for others. Um, but Luke thrusts us into, we, we're going to see how this is relevant to the text that we're, we're speaking about. In fact, this is kind of relevant to every text we're always speaking about. That's why it's our motto. But uh, Luke thrusts us in. Jesus is about to give this um, big seminar on, on, uh, over a couple of days. And Luke takes us straight into some sort of um, this prayer retreat Jesus is having in the mountains. And Jesus goes away to pray for some time. And uh, we hear, we, we learn, or if you follow Jesus' life, how kind of relevant prayer is to all the big decisions he makes. And if we were talking about principles this morning, one principle we could take out is it's, it's a good thing to pray before you make good decisions, big decisions. Um, and Jesus does that, and he's, he goes and prays. And uh, prayer is kind of, one way you could describe prayer is uh, that prayer is exchanging wishes, you take your wishes to God, and then you take His wishes into your heart, and you change. You make an exchange. Um, prayer is about uh, going before God and learning what God wants, figuring it out with God in God's presence, figuring out what God wants, and, and accepting it and agreeing to do it. So if you don't want what God wants, that's okay. If you did, you would, and you knew what God wanted, you'd, you really wouldn't need to pray as much. Um, you need to pray in order to be able to do it and, and for a few other things. But partly the reason we need to pray is because we, we don't want God's will. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. If we didn't need to pray that, um, 
we would be perfect uh, in terms of wanting God's will. So it's okay. Give yourself a break when what you want is not what God wants. Just beneath that, really want to want what God wants so that can take you into prayer and you can say, here's my will, please give me your will. I want to lay it down before you. Um, Jesus prays, Father, take this cup from me, not my will be done but yours. So there's an example of even Jesus wanting something else but going into the Father's presence and making an exchange to say, this is so hard, please take this cup from me, but if there's no other way, I, I want to do your will. What I really want to do is your will. I'd like this cup to go, but if there's no other way, uh, then your will be done. And that's okay for us to do. It's a little bit different to my prayer, which is, Jesus, I really want to be rich, famous, uh, rich and famous and have a comfortable and easy life, but not my will be done, but yours. Um, they're qualitatively different. And I can promise you God's not going to answer my prayer. Uh, for the comfortable part, I think he will answer the prayer for his will part. Um, so we see Jesus praying um, in his life because he wants to know Jesus, God's purpose. He wants to know the Father's purpose. And Jesus believes that he does through prayer know the Father's will and the Father's purpose in his life. This is important to see. In Luke, in John 12, 49 to 50, Jesus says, He only does what the Father tells... Oh, sorry, the first verse, Chris, I'm going to confuse your slides. Let me go back. John 5, verse 19, Jesus says, He only does what He sees the Father doing. John 12, 49, Jesus says, He only says what the Father tells Him to say and how the Father tells Him to say it. Jesus is confident that the Father's message delivered through Jesus will lead to eternal life. That's what Jesus believes. In John 14, 10, Jesus was so sure about what he was doing that he says, the Father is working through me. This is, this is Jesus' conclusions as he prays for the Father's will in his life. He, he believed that everything he does and everything he says is that what the Father's will is for him to do and to say. That's, that's going to be important for us because Jesus is going to come with a message for his disciples and Jesus believes 100% that that is the Father's will for the disciples to hear and that it's true. One of the things Jesus does with 100% conviction is that he calls people to himself and he believes that this is the Father's will to call people to himself. Um, he names these people, as Adam said, disciples. So a disciple is someone who follows the teacher. This is, this is true in uh, the, the language. If you go study the language, the Greek language, or, or if you go study the, the Jewish culture, what a disciple was was someone who wanted to be with their rabbi, their teacher, who wanted to become like their teacher so that they could do what their teacher did. So the way you would pass... This, the, if you managed to get a rabbi that would allow you to follow him, um, the way that you'd pass is that you'd be with him nonstop. The disciple, it was said, wanted to be in the dust of his rabbi. He, as, as, his, as his rabbi walked and kicked up dust, the disciple wanted that dust to fall upon him. He was that close. Wherever the, the rabbi went, he went. There was a rabbi that walked with a limp, and it was noted that all of his closest disciples walked with a limp. There's nothing wrong with them. They copied him so much that they walked with his limp um, because they wanted to imitate it. They were with him. They wanted to become like him so that they could do the things that he did. And so if you're Jesus' disciple, you follow him so that you can become like him so that you can do the things that Jesus does. That's the point of discipleship. In John 6, 39, Jesus said, 
he will not lose, uh, yeah, he will lose none of those the Father gives him, and he will raise them to life in the future resurrection. This is Jesus talking about his disciples belonging to him. In Jeremiah 23 verse 4, it was prophesied, God would give his people good uh, shepherds to look after his people, that none of his people would (laughs) go missing. So the point of a shepherd is to make sure that none of these disciples go missing. Then in John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the one who makes sure that none of the disciples go missing. In John 6.37, Jesus says that everyone the Father has given him will come to him, and none of those who come to him will ever be driven away. In John 10, 28, Jesus says that he will give every one of his people eternal life and that none, no one can snatch them out of his hand. These are incredible promises. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the rabbi. Those who follow him are called his disciples. And he says, if you're my disciple, I will give you eternal life. I'll raise you to life and no one will snatch you out of my hand. You are mine. You belong to me. Uh, I will never let you go. Incredible promise um, that Jesus Then Jesus uh, prays and he calls his apostles in this text. He calls them by name. And out of his group of disciples, he's going to bring a few closer to him and he's going to train them to continue uh, the gospel ministry and to to spread it into the world. And um, There's no doubt in Jesus' mind. This has happened straight after he's prayed. And we see what Jesus believes, the conviction that he has about what he does and what he says. That he believes that it's completely the Father's will. And so when he calls his apostles, even Judas, Jesus believes 100% that they are exactly who God wants at exactly the right time. He's not, he's not dealing with just like, who's he got? These are the guys the Father wants me to train to be apostles for what we're going to do. There's a sovereignty about this that you and I can believe that we are the people that God has chosen for now. Right now, right here, God knows your name. As much as Jesus went and prayed and called out these people to something specific, just as much Jesus has called your name and my name right now at this time in history, in this place, in this city, for a purpose. You have no less purpose, no less intention, no less conviction. Jesus isn't uh, more unsure about you. Or he has no less confidence about calling you than he has about calling Peter or Andrew or any of the other apostles that he calls towards a purpose. And so when he's called your name to himself, and he says, come to me and you've come to him through faith, you can know this for sure, that Jesus has an intention for your life. He'll never let you go. And He has a purpose. You've been chosen by God for this exact moment in history to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus does. You're in the school of discipleship. But you say to me, well, I'm not a really good student of Jesus. You know, if you knew everything that I did... Let me just pause to say, um, I remember when I was eight years old, we had, a, we had moved 
My dad was going to lead a church in another city, and we had moved. And for whatever reason, I was doing homeschooling, which is a terrible idea. Unless you're Jack and the Nelsons, and then it's a great idea. You should totally do homeschooling. It was a terrible idea for me. And we had a math test that we had. To, I had to finish this math test in a minute. I don't know, there were like 12 questions or something. And I failed this math test probably 11 times. I hated it. I, I hated the math test. I, I didn't lack confidence. I didn't think the problem was in me. I thought the problem was in the stupid testing. <laughs> this is a dumb thing. I don't need this thing in my life. Why is my mother making me do it? Doesn't she love me? And I could actually feel, as an eight-year-old, I could feel uh, anger. You know, like when it goes up your spine, up your neck, that you could just like take something and just... Argh! I could, even as a kid, I could feel that. And then a moment came where I passed the test. Twelfth or thirteenth time. And it was oh, the relief, the joy, the wonder, the put it, put it away, like still. Argh! My point is this. It's actually not a really good example of what I'm trying to say, but, <laughs> but it is an example. Jesus' mercies never run out. Your opportunities to be tested never run out. You say, I've failed it 13 times. Jesus says, well, there's 1,300 more opportunities today. And then go read the verse that says, and His mercies are new every morning. So tomorrow morning, He's going to try again with you. And you might reject him, you, you might uh, um, ignore him, you might be attracted to something else or someone else that's apart from him. And he says, my mercies are going to be new for you again and again and again and again and again. The school of discipleship, none of us are shining stars. There are no like front row seaters. We're all the, the uh, I don't know, what's, what, I'm nervous of offending anyone. What would you call someone who sits in the back row to not learn? Back row bogan. <laughs> I didn't say it. I'm just copying someone else. We're all back row bogans in the school of discipleship. None of us are heroes. None of us get naughty badges. None of us. But that's not how the system works. Jesus' mercies are new every morning. And again and again we try. So all to say... If you go, yeah, I'm not a great disciple. Yep, you're not. But Jesus isn't giving up on you, and you can do better today or tomorrow or the next day. And that's what He wants for you. So Jesus has a clear aim for your life. Luke 6, verse 40, which Ruby read for us, says, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. What Jesus is saying here is that He's making you like Himself. You and I, we don't have something that we can teach Jesus. We can't have a better idea about something. We can't go, oh, Jesus, I woke up this morning, I've got a better plan for my life. I think if you hear me out, you'll go with it. Or Jesus, I had a better idea of how to spend my money. Or Jesus, I know it sounds like discontentment, but it's not really. When you just listen to what I say, you'll see how it's not discontentment. Me going after these 17 things is a very good idea. Let me explain. Jesus says, no one's above their teacher. The true disciple becomes like the teacher. He's the goal. He's the prize. He's the model. What he loves, we love. What he does, we do. What he plans, we go with. And, and that's his aim, that we become like Jesus. Think about it a little bit. Um, 
Those of you who have five-year plans, what is it? Just in a sentence, don't tell us, please. It will be a distraction. People will start mentally making their own five-year plans. What's your 10-year plan? Can I ask if, in a sentence, if your clear plan is to become more like Jesus? And if you've planned out how you're going to become more like Jesus? Because that's His plan, is to make you more like Him. Himself. That's His plan. His five-year plan with you is to make you more like Him. His ten-year plan with you is to make you more like Him. His whole life plan for you is to make you more like Him. And the more you line up your plan with that plan, the more you'll be successful in achieving your plan. What do you imagine would be written on your epitaph one day? What do you want? You know those tombstones? I've seen some great ones as I was just... I got distracted, to be honest, while I was writing this and got distracted by funny epitaphs. And you can go read those in your own time if, if you uh, think to do that. Don't do that now on your phone. Joel, I see you on your phone. Put it down. <laughs> just <joking. laughs> Just think. Think like you're going to die in like 60 years. You've lived a wonderful life. You've lived a fantastic life. What does your epitaph say? What does it say? What does your tombstone say? What do you want it to say? What do you hope it says? I was thinking about my own. I thought, you know, here lies Mark. Here's, here's, here's just some street ones. Here lies Mark. He was his own man. But that's what we're told. I mean, we value that. Be your own person. Be your own woman. Be yourself. Here lies Mark. He was his own man. Oh, big whoop. Here lies Mark. He stayed true to himself. What a bummer. Boo. Here lies Mark. He was, he was always planning to change soon. Here lies Mark and his pride who lived with him all of his life. Here lies Mark and the bitterness he carried. Man, these are real things. But, but when we think of it, of it in light of death, it seems useless, worthless. What a terrible way to live. When we think of it in the moment, how often do you challenge someone who's bitter to, to forgive? But by not challenging, we're saying, yeah, it's a good idea that one day you, yeah, you can just die with your bitterness. What a terrible way to go. I mean, these are all, uh, not the bitterness ones so much, potentially, but all the others are very real for me. Can you, uh, what I'd rather have, what, I, what I'd truly like, is here lies, here lies Mark, who loved Jesus more than life itself. Or here lies Mark, he was a lot like Jesus. That's what, Jesus wouldn't have anything written on our epitaphs because he doesn't think we're lying there. Not in that sense. But if he was going to go with us, I mean, he's written on tablets before. If he, if he would write on this tablet, and here lies Mark, I think that's what he would want to put on it. Love Jesus more than life itself. Or became a lot like Jesus. That's his aim for you. Can you imagine, just, can you just do me a favor and just imagine your, your epitaph for a moment, 20 seconds, with your name, and it's saying, they became a lot like Jesus. What does that feel like to you? Don't, don't answer me, just think about it. If you and I are not becoming like Jesus, we're not paying attention to His plan. Because it's the one thing He's doing in our lives. And if it's not happening... It's not because he fell asleep 
or forgot to work in our lives, or we're at the back of some line, if we're not becoming more like Jesus, it's because we're not paying attention to the plan. We're following something else. We call Jesus Lord and Savior, but something else is our teacher. We're learning somewhere else. It's impossible to become like Jesus, and yet it's the only thing He's doing. The point is, we can't do it ourselves. You know, being good doesn't make you a better person. You know, it doesn't change. Your, being good doesn't make you more like Jesus. Jesus works on our hearts, and He He affects our hearts to love what He loves. Uh, to be like Him, and it surprises us when some of His nature and character comes out as the Holy Spirit works. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's never called our fruit. Josh is a great guy, good friend, good pastor, but it's never called the fruit of Josh is. The fruit of the Spirit working in Josh is. And you know what all those things look like? A lot like Jesus. Sorry for picking on you, Josh. This is just safe. So are you becoming more like Jesus? There's lots and lots of things that you can't do in life. But you know the one thing that you can do is one thing that's impossible. The one thing you can do is become like Jesus by simply getting with His program, agreeing with Him. Okay. So what does it look like? What does this program look like? How do I know when it's, um, I'm participating in it? So fortunately for us, uh, we have an example of Jesus walking around on this planet, and he held a few seminars on discipleship. The one was called the Sermon on the Mount. The other was called the Sermon on the Plain. Matthew tells us about the Sermon on the Mount. Luke tells us about the Sermon on the Plain. And like I told you, I hope you have some snacks ready, but I'm, I'm not actually going to be all day. Um, but Jesus here tells us, he, he opens his school of discipleship and he just tells us exactly what it looks like. And this is what, I mean, if this, if this text, what Ruby read to us, if that doesn't mess with your life, then nothing in the Bible is going to mess with your life. If you read that text, I mean, that's so wonderful, I love that. You didn't hear it. You weren't listening. If you heard that and went, oh my gosh, oh no, and started to go, I can't tell anyone what I'm thinking right now because... I, I, then congratulations, you're hearing Jesus' school of discipleship. He's saying some really tough things and wonderful things and good things and glorious things, but difficult things. He messes with our lives. Okay, so the first thing Jesus says is, uh, over here, and I'm just going to summarize Luke's summary of a very long sermon. He says, number one, there's three things. A disciple sees life differently. Jesus says, hey, if you are poor and hungry and sad, and all you have is me? Oh, you're so blessed. You know why? Let me tell you. Because I'm going to take your poverty, and I'm going to give you my entire kingdom. And I'm going to take your hunger, and I'm going to make it that you're never hungry again. I'm going to satisfy your hunger eternally. And I'm going to take your sadness, and I'm going to change your life, and give you a joy that will never be diminished. You, you know it already. You're, you're poor, you're hungry, you're sad. You're experiencing it. You know you need it. And I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to bring it to you. Oh, you're so blessed. What you don't want to be like is someone who, who doesn't know they need me. They are, they are so rich and they are so stuffed to the guts and they are so happy with their life. They're living their best life now that they can't see a way for Jesus to creep in. Oh, you don't want to be like that. Because you know why? Eventually, 
they, uh, they think they've got everything. Eventually, they find out they've got nothing, but it's too late. All those things they had eventually die with them, and they find out they had nothing. And they never in their life see their need for me. And so they never come to me. Oh, that's, not a, that's woe to them. That, you don't want that. Jesus isn't saying that wealth or food or happiness is bad. He's saying as gods in our lives, if those are the things that give us comfort and satisfaction and um, meaning, oh, whoa, we lose our sight of, of Him, our need for Him. So a disciple sees life entirely different. A disciple stands upon the unshakable rock of Jesus and the terrors of life cannot shake them. They stand on this eternal rock and go, whatever may come, whatever comes my way, I am on Christ, the solid rock, and I'll keep standing, and He will raise me. And if there's sadness in this life, He'll give joy. And if there's poverty in this life, He will give His kingdom. And if there's, um, what was the other thing? Hunger, He will satisfy me. That's why Christians have this kind of flat society. No one's more important, no one's less important. If Chris Hemsworth walked in here today um, and he was a Christian, I don't know that he's not, that he, he was, I don't know what the reaction would be like, but hopefully there wouldn't be one. Because in God's kingdom, he's no more, no more special or valuable. If a homeless person, which did happen this morning, two homeless guys walked in, they would hopefully get no different treatment to everyone else. Hopefully they'd be as warmly welcomed as anyone else. They're no less important because of their state in life. They're no more important because of their state in life. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are equal before the Lord. We just see life differently. We don't find a rich person and go, oh gosh, I want to be friends with this person. Or a, 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 um, a social influence and say, oh, I hope they're Instagram about the dinner they had at my house. Or the, who cares? I've got the eyes of Jesus on me. I've got the kingdom of God behind me. I've got the unshakable rock under me. I've got eternal life in front of me. What can anyone give me? Tell me. What can someone give me that Jesus hasn't already? The answer is nothing. That doesn't mean we diminish anyone. That means we love people appropriately because they are loved by Jesus. Jesus died for them. Number two, a disciple loves differently. Jesus says, love people who are the hardest to love. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, gee. I, I, you know what? I struggled with this because this text messes you up. I was like, I, I've said a few times this week, Lord, I can't preach this. My life's nowhere, nowhere near in line with this. So, just so you know, God already knows. I'm not preaching as the expert. I'm just standing alongside you in the dust of Jesus in need of help. Love those who are the hardest to love. How do you practically love people? You seek to do good to those who hate you. You seek to bless those who curse you. This is what Jesus says. You seek to pray for those who abuse you. Jesus sums it up. Whatever you wish people would do to you, do that to them. 
Sometimes our enemies are much closer than we think. Because, you know, when we think about this, I think, yeah, I'll pray for, today I'll pray for the, the Taliban. They, they hate Christians and they, they're abusing people. I'll pray for them. I'm praying for my enemy that's out there. Um, and we keep it quite distant. Your enemy is a lot clo- closer than you think. I'll tell you about a few of them. If you're a, a teenager, you know those loving parents who sometimes say no? That's your enemy. They evoke some sort of attitude in you. Welcome. You know your daggy housemate? Can't keep things as perfect as you want them? You know your unreliable friend that doesn't show up on time? You know the spouse who never chooses the restaurant you want on date night? Or asks you to watch The Notebook on movie night? That's your enemy. Why? I'll tell you in a moment. You know the engaged friend that wants to talk about wedding plans again? Sorry, Michaela and Ruby. (laughs) That might not be true of you two. And it might. When your friends... um, you know, when, when your friends come over and they bring their feral children and they ruin your tidy house? <laughs> Stop looking around, people. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> few of you got a few looks. I don't know if it's because you have a tidy house or feral children, but... These... In other words, think about this. Whenever someone invades your king, the kingdom of your will with their will, you have an opportunity to surrender in love. That's your enemy. When someone is invading your will, they're causing a reaction, causing an attitude. Welcome to your enemy. And Jesus says, love them. Oh gosh. And including your enemies that are far off, but I just mean also the enemies that are close, that are nearby. It's an opportunity. This is is what love. Love never leaves a debt. If you've done something out of love for someone, it's not their turn to do something for you next time. That's a debt. That's not love. That's an exchange. If you watch The Notebook, I still haven't watched The Notebook. If you watch The Notebook with your husband because he was dying to watch The Notebook, um, oh, you thought I was talking about wives, right? He, you, you, he does not have to watch Riddick with you because that's your dream. <laughs> He does not have to watch Gladiator with you because you're dying to see Mel Gibson. <laughs> Just testing you. Apparently, Nas never got to watch Gladiator either. You get the point. It's not an exchange. There's no debt. Love says, I will sacrifice for you. Secondly, it's not love if you can't smile while you're doing it. A proper smile. Not a teeth smile. I'm loving this. Do you, are you glad we came to the restaurant? <laughs> yes, love. I'm so glad we're here. This is exactly what I wanted to eat. <laughs> ah! If you can't smile while you're doing it, it's not love. It's not love if you can't want the best for the person you are loving. 
if you're, if you're just tolerating, if you're just putting up with it, if you can't want their best, just go to the notebook again, because again, it's a movie I hope I never have to watch. <laughs> but if you can't straight afterwards go, hey, is there anything else you would like me to watch with you? It's not love yet. It's, it's just you tolerating, putting up with, sacrificing. Sacrifice is good. It's good to sacrifice, but your sacrifice isn't backed by love yet. It's not filled with love. Jesus wants us not just to sacrifice. He wants us to be enthused with love. Let me give you an example. You have two friends. You go to a concert with two friends. Your, the one concert your friend uh, buys you tickets to uh, is front row seats at a Jay-Z concert. This is a good example. I hope you like Jay-Z. Who's, who, who, what's, what's the concert you'd like to go to? Not Jay Z. Who's Jay Z? Okay, never mind. A concert you want to go to. You get front row tickets to a concert you want to go to. Or, and you have to go with another friend and they buy you front row tickets to a Wiggles concert. It's a little bit sad that more people in this church know who the Wiggles are. The feeling. Love feels the same. <laughs> Love. I'm not saying your preference. I'm not saying you, you, if you got to choose. I'm saying loving someone else feels the same. We, we ask him, what are the marks of love? What does it look like? What does it feel like? It feels the same. You're still allowed to not want to go to a Wiggles concert or a Jay-Z one, depending on where you fell in that category. It's love when you can do, uh, do it the same way as you would under the best of circumstances. Jesus models this. He's dying on the cross. He's dying on the cross for John and for Mary, for their sins. He's been punished because of their sins. And he looks at them. And he says, John, treat her like your mother. And Mary, treat him like your son. Take care of each other. He's dying on the cross next to a criminal who's also dying for his crimes, but Jesus is dying for his sins. And he turns to him and he can say, my friend, don't worry about it. Today, you're going to come home with me. Jesus models this love that even in suffering, which the wiggles may be. When we have Jesus working through us, love can still be present. It's possible to sacrifice and love at the same time. But you're going to need Jesus to help you. Number three, Jesus, uh, the disciples have kind eyes. Do you know anyone with kind eyes? The kind eyes that when they talk about you or they describe you, you're like, oh, I love being the person you see. They assume the best of you. Oh, it's nice to have friends with kind eyes. Jesus says his disciples have kind eyes. <laughs> Becoming like Jesus is like nothing else in the whole world, and I'm going to show you why. Let me, tell you, let me give you a few examples. Becoming like Chris Hemsworth 
will make you quite popular and, and potentially make you feel superior when you go to the beach. Am I right, if you're a guy? Yeah. Okay. Becoming like Bill Gates may make you feel superior in an IT space. Right? Becoming like Jeff Bezos, well, however you say his name, may make you feel superior in a bank. Becoming like uh, Stephen Hawking may make you feel superior in a philosophical world or an academic space. Becoming like Stephanie uh, Gilmore may make you feel superior in the ocean. One of the best surfers alive. I wish I could surf like her. Becoming like Gordon Ramsay may make you feel superior in the kitchen and everywhere else. <laughs> right? Becoming like Arvid Rosengren may make you feel superior when you uncork a bottle of wine. Best, world's best sommelier. I think that's how you say that word. I feel very insecure about it. Uh, I don't know how you say this name, but I ha she has caused me to swear. Becoming like Kayla Itzines may make you feel superior in the gym. Anyone, anyone ever used the Kayla app to get fit? Yeah, a few in this. I deleted it because I tried to do the warm-up to the first exercise, <laughs> and I heard my mouth say, oh, <laughs> oh no, I, I can't do this again, and deleted it. Kayla is gone. Becoming like Michael Jackson may make you feel superior on stage. Becoming like Chloe Morello may make you feel superior on Instagram. But becoming like Jesus will never make you feel more superior to anyone. What? Becoming like the most beautiful, magnificent, awesome being who has ever lived on the planet will never make you feel more superior than anyone. Or inferior, for that matter. I told you, becoming a disciple of Jesus is like nothing in this world. In fact, the more you become like Jesus, the less you cast judgment on others. You begin to see that everyone is drowning in their sins and that everyone needs salvation. You begin to see the desperate need for humanity, for Jesus, including ourselves. Kind eyes even when you look in the mirror. Our desperate need for Jesus. You begin to see that good behavior doesn't lead to a loving heart. We start to see people differently. Start to treat people differently. You can't, Jesus gives a lot of examples, and, and you can't, one of them is you can't um, pick figs from an apple tree kind of thing. You can't, you can't nourish the outside. You know, I'll go water those apples so that the tree will be healthier. You've got to get to the roots. The roots decide what's going to grow. You can't do stuff on the outside to change the inside. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to go and feed 10 homeless people today because eventually I'll learn to love uh, people who have less than me. You can't, that's not how it works. Jesus needs to change the inside and then you see the fruit on the outside. As we discussed, that's what Jesus is teaching. And kind eyes looks at people 
you know, in a non-judgmental way. And, and Jesus, I love his exaggeration. It gives a little bit of license sometimes because sometimes when you preach, you exaggerate. And Jesus says, you know, don't see the speck in someone else's eye while you still have the plank in yours. <laughs> Just Can you imagine the plank? Someone's like, <laughs> it seems like an obvious thing to take out. But Jesus says it's not that obvious when it's in our own eye. Kind eyes. Kind, just kind eyes. Assume the best of people, not the worst. Don't be judgy. Don't know their motives. So Jesus gives this answer. He says, come to me. As, come, come to me. Disciples, as disciples, we live this life of love from a space near to Jesus. When we see impatience come out of us, we go to Jesus. When we see harshness come out of us, we go to Jesus. When we see my will and way come out, we go to Jesus. When we see jealousy come out, we go to Jesus. When we see discontentment ooze out, we go to Jesus. When we see lust come out, we go to Jesus. When we see judgment come out, we go to Jesus. When we see scoffing come out, we go to Jesus. When we see comparison come out, we go to Jesus. When we see stubbornness come out, we go to Jesus. When we see sulking come out, we go to Jesus. We go and we go and we go and we go to Jesus. And every single day, the way we stay near to Jesus is that we take the realities of our lives and the realities of our hearts and the realities of our thoughts and we go to Jesus. I'm going to hand over to Josh, who's going to take us into communion in a minute. Welcome to the School of Discipleship. You are chosen by name and will never, ever be lost. The program is Become Like Jesus. It's that simple. You can't do it alone. So Jesus did it for you, and now little by little, he's going to change you. That's why at King's Cross, our daily prayer or Sundays will always be Jesus above all and others before me. Joshua.